Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello, welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth and I'm joining the pod this week by... Mark Ellen. And we're also thrilled and honoured to have with us... Guest star... Barry McElhenney. Barry. Who is <laughs> <laughs> so the author of our current cover story about Van Morrison? And a lovely piece about Bill Nye. Bill Nye, and I've got to, I've got to throw in one thing. One thing I learnt from uh, the Bill Nye piece... Lean in, Barry. Don't be too far away from the microphone. Don't be shy. Um, (laughs) I I always like things in Words of the Wise where you pick up just one little nugget and and it kind of worries away at you. And do you know what it was with Bill Nye? The piece of advice that I have adopted in the last week. Top button sometimes, middle button always, bottom button never. Absolutely! Isn't it awful? You get to this stage and you think, why didn't somebody tell me that years ago? I've been walking around looking like a complete buffoon all my life. He says three buttons, absolutely terrible idea. You look utterly stupid. He's He's talking about a suit here. He's talking about a suit and he said, they're young men, and he's absolutely right, I've got into this habit. He doesn't know who started them, all three buttons done up. And he said he was told it many years ago by a wardrobe assistant uh, on one of his movies. Top button, sometimes, middle button, always, bottom yeah. button, never. And in the picture, of course, fantastically, it's exactly what he's wearing. He's wearing a very beautiful suit as well. He likes a suit, Bill Nye, and he looked good. He and I wore good. a suit the other day and I observed the middle button. The Nye principle. The Nye principle, <laughs> as it shall henceforth be known. <laughs> Absolutely all through the day, and I kept my jacket on in the office. And did you feel that there was just a party of the ways when you walked down the street and just an awed and hushed respect? Yeah, yeah young women looked at me with a new so respect. Totally, they yeah. thought, isn't that Turning Bill heads. Nye? Turning he looks good. He's doing a nigh. Doing a nigh. But not that's, nigh, not well, nigh, interestingly, not nigh. Nigh. Oh, nigh. Just nigh. nigh. Okay. Rhymes with sigh. Yes. When I worked at New Musical Express when I, when I were a kid, there was a guy called Paul Rambarley. Do you remember the one from Paul Rambarley? Paul Rambarley. I remember him debating Un- long and loud. Unnecessarily good-looking Paul Rambarley. Terribly good-looking, brilliant writer. Tastelessly yeah, good-looking. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's not let it worry us. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, I hope you're not listening. Terrible envy. And uh, yeah, I remember him debating long and loud how many buttons you should do up in your polo shirt. And then Neil Spencer, the editor, weighing in with uh, how you should lace up Dr. Martin. There's apparently some special... And I, I remember thinking, 
Life's too short, surely. Neil Spencer is very big on shoes. Yeah, I've got a Comsat Angels album to listen to. I can't sit around <laughs> <laughs> worrying about my polo shirt. Now, didn't then he... he's actually wearing a polo shirt. And he got, was it both? He got oh, two sometimes it's, it's a messy polo shirt. I don't think the principle applies to a polo shirt. It's suits only. Is it suits only? Yeah, okay. Well, no, yeah, the Can we just throw in the piece of information that isn't Paul Rambali's son a rock star in France? Yeah, he is a huge rock star. He's 18 years old. Really? He's called Rambali, yes. yeah, yeah. He's, uh, what's the name of the band? He bumped into Ram Barley would be a great name for a band. Tonight in session, Ram Barley. Bogshed. So, uh, news just in, chaps. Um, have you seen the story about Channel 4 apologising for, uh, for uh, Gordon Ramsay pretending to spear a fish and eat it? No, no this follows, follows hard on the heels of the, the, you know, the staggering revelation that a TV company actually played fast and loose also no. with that little package. Featuring the Queen, no. where she supposedly went out the room, which was That's actually right. coming in, Brilliant. which I know came as a shock to Shameful. all of us Shameful. that yeah. anybody in television would do anything so yeah. underhand, yeah. other than habitually, to give you know. completely the wrong impression. <laughs> to give completely the wrong impression. It's never happened before. Anyway, Channel Four are now apologising for the fact that uh, that Gordon Ramsay was seen returning to shore after a fishing trip, uh, gripping a two-foot-long, freshly speared fish. And then cooking it. And what, what actually happened was that uh, local expert David Callahan, a member of the British Spearfishing Squad with more than 20 years' experience, for him. went out there oh, and no. speared it for him. Get me a man to spear this fish. And, uh, and, and, do the cooking. and Channel 4 are making the usual kind of, this stuff. this has never happened before. Well, well there's been a similar thing as with, this, uh, with Newsnight and Gordon Brown, where they've reversed the sequences in this interview. There's some guerrilla reporter's got out to be Gordon Brown. The sequence has been edited in such a way to make it appear one way that actually it was the opposite, similar to the Queen's. So basically, th- this sort of stuff goes on absolutely all the time. Similar to the know, spear It's, just, it's just the bosses of TV companies at the moment have to be seen to be taking a very, a very kind of stern line. Tugging their forelocks. I mean, viewers, think about it. If you're going to go out and you're going to shoot an episode of Gordon Ramsay's programme in which the idea is Gordon goes out and spears his tea, mm-hmm. yes? You're not going to come back halfway through and go, sorry, people, he couldn't manage couldn't the connect one. We, we, we couldn't do it. Sorry, for the rest of the programme, he'll just answer your, uh, your letters or something like I that. I don't think it's the most heinous crime ever committed it's in not television history. Crime, is it? Well, maybe it's in Gordon's contract. No spearing, just do the cooking. It doesn't look won't very spear. good for Gordon, does it? Yeah, really? Can't spear, won't spear. Because he said, he, he, said he, you know, here I look like Action Man or something. Well, you know, clearly look like Action Man while having fish supplied for him. Uh, piece in the current issue... I was at a restaurant the other day and Gordon Ramsay was two tables away. Oh, where was that? Was Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. No, it wasn't his restaurant. But you've got to feel you've got to be in a good place, haven't you? Gordon Ramsay's. How did you, how did you afford to be in a restaurant with I was out with my, uh, I've got uh, my wife and two, two pals of ours. We have a little dining club. We go out twice a year to a posh restaurant. We save up, Dave. We yeah. save up. We went to Scott's in Mayfair. Which had a four-foot shark in the middle of the room on not a bed of ice. By Gordon not caught by Gordon Not caught by the spear. I think the last time you and I had dinner, Mark Ellen, Ronnie Parker was on the next. He table. was. Oh my! Rather God. thrilling. Oh yeah. And genuine. It, it was in the Ivy. Let's be honest. It but was. with somebody else, obviously. But genuinely, everyone appeared rather impressed, didn't they? Because you know, you go to the Ivy and you see so and so and so. Ronnie Parker. Ronnie Parker was, was in the booth about two away. Um, a member of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Which one? Terry Jones, I think. Terry Jones was yeah. two One down, of the wasn't he? Chris Smith, uh, Labour MP. I think but they all faded into insignificance next to the Barker. What yeah, was the Barker wearing? Was he wearing a kind of sky blue sports jacket? I'd like to feel he would have been, surely. 
I think he may have been in a, in a suit. He was in a suit, and I remember it being terribly respectable. Spectacle. But I also did a terrible thing, because also in the restaurant was Charlene Spiteri, the lead singer of the Mighty Texas. Just right. a normal And the people we're having a meal with, George, who works in this building, said, must he did, all of these people totally fade into insignificance compared to Charlene. He said, Mark, you won't believe he's over there. Charlene. Now, I know Charlene's material for Texas. So I went round the corner, my way to the loo, ducked down and said, Charlene, do me a favour. It's the old Frank Sinatra. It's the Frank Sinatra I literally did it. It's the old Frank Sinatra. I said, Charlene, I want you to do me a favour. This, this will reflect terribly well on me, and I'll be awfully grateful. But I want you to come over and say hello to me in about five minutes. So I go back to the table and sit there and say, what a haul. We've got, we got, we got Ronnie Parker over there. We've got Terry Jones. For he said, You'll never believe who's coming towards the table now. It's Charlene's material in Texas. She comes up and she goes, Mark, darling. She's got a chat. Lovely to see us. Sorry, Sean, I'm just talking to some people. I'll be with you in a minute. I was, you know, and I thought it was classic. It was classic. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. We were in the, did, did we go to the Ivy on that occasion where Pamela Anderson and, uh, and oh, Kid Rock were in there? No, I miss that. I don't go to the Ivy very often. It was about two years ago. Pamela Anderson and Kid Rock and and a strange... That's not a good combination. It's not really, is it? Standards have slipped. There's a piece in the current issue of Word called Tales of the Unexpected, which we're very pleased with, which came out of kind of reader feedback. And basically the idea of this was, these are things that have happened in the last 20 years, and if you'd been told about them 20 years ago, you would never have believed them. So, classic case being, who would have guessed that Elton John would divorce his wife and marry a man? If you'd said that 20 years ago, uh, you know, that would have been... been And these are all suggested by readers. Nick White suggests, in the future, when you pass a gleaming stretch limo, you'll assume it's full of teenagers rather than celebrities. The one I liked as well was, somebody said something like, who would have thought that you would pay £4.50 to get on the plane to Glasgow and £7.50 for the cappuccino at the airport? (laughs) Yes, I know. It used to be you paid 400 quid to fly anywhere, not to Fiverr. But the sandwich and the coffee is more than the flight. Yeah. When did that happen? Uh, I suppose it was in the last ten years, isn't it? I suppose it's just in the last ten years we just got used to a a different attitude to flying. I can remember trying to go to America in 1977. The cheapest flight I could get was 275 pounds. Return British Airways to New York and back. You do that for a while. You can now fly tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) No, but if you You did it, if you did it now, it would be about the same sum of money, wouldn't it? It'd be about. But but you know, relatively, it's way way less. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like the one it's about the only thing that's gone down, I think, in sort of in cost over the last twenty years. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I, I like I like the one where, where somebody written in said that mobile phones have replaced applause, which is true because people are so busy filming whatever they're watching now. That oh, we, yeah, 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 yeah. So presumably, if you're a live performer, you know you've got to feel the warmth of an audience response by the number of little green little flashes yeah flashes it's all wrong isn't it you can get all your music and videos onto uh, something the size of a packet of Benson and Hedges I know I know and Ozzy Osbourne is a prime time TV star which still you still have to think forget all the others which leads me to this just in also today uh, that uh, the E for entertainment network in the United States Who's the star of its next domestic, you know, reality TV fly on the wall? We'll come and live your family life with you. Show Victoria Beckham. No, <laughs> I'm sure it would be if they could get her. Snoop Dogg. No. Snoop Dogg, and uh, the broadcaster promises that the show is going to be hilarious and heartwarming. Must be as it always is with the, nice with the dog. dog. With the dog. With the shade dog. Oh, shade dog. Imagine that. 
That's it's, the, it's the way these things just end up as prime time. You know, these are the things that used to be... They could never get on any kind of telly, no. could they? There'll be no bad language in that programme. <laughs> <laughs> Gangster, funster, Snoop Dogg. I was looking at somebody's paper on the tube this morning. I love the way tabloids just describe people in two words. You know, there's a story about Jane Goody. She just described as TV dimwit. Jane Goody. Jane. I always get a Jane. Jane Goody. I love that TV dimwit. So please, it's a compound adjective. Is that what it is? If you can be reduced to those those two things. Well, it's an indication of your celebrity also. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Is that an achievement? Yeah, yeah. If it can be just a nutshell. You know, if you have to have a whole paragraph to describe who you are, you're clearly not terribly well known. But if, you're, if you've made it to the, to the dizzy heights of being a TV dimwit... It's even worse if you get a nickname, isn't it? A friend of mine who's a lawyer who got herself into a bit of trouble, and she was called, referred to in the tabloids as Ali McDale. Oh, <laughs> so she's a solicitor, That's and she's done something wrong. I said, you're finished. Yeah. As soon as you get a scoop for a case, yeah, it's, all down now. it's all over. I don't have to explain anything, just two words. I'll leave it there. Oh, we While we're talking about two, two words, this, I'd, I'd been scribbling something prior to this, uh, this meeting. I wanted to talk about pop oxymorons. All right. Right. I'm a bit worried it's a meeting now. I feel very unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> I am one on the agenda. We've got the agenda. Who's in the chair? I'm in the chair. Pop oxymorons, OK? So <laughs> contradictions in terms, yeah. right? Because this was one that we touched on when Andrew Collins was here a couple of weeks ago. He pointed out that in the BBC's coverage of uh, the Princess Diana thing or Live Earth, or I can't remember what it was, that Fern, what do we call her? Cotton, cotton. Britain. I always call her Britain. We, we, cotton. One of the two. It sort of doesn't matter was always promising to come along with that with a thing called backstage gossip. And Andrew made the, the trenchant point that there is no There's backstage. No such thing. No there such is thing. no such no, thing no. as backstage gossip. No. You go backstage at one of these things, it's not full of pop stars standing around going, have you heard? Have you heard what George Stark's exactly oh. <laughs> Yeah, they're always worrying about their soundtrack. Fair and, enough. And if there were, they certainly wouldn't be sharing it with the Radio 1 microphone, would they? So backstage gossip. It leads me to another one. Which is an increasingly regular use nowadays. Secret gig. <laughs> well, you know what the, the, what's, what's a secret gig? What's a secret gig? There was Mark? a headline. Of the, what's it, a secret gig? Tell me. Well, what's a secret it gig? It used to be. No. REM were in town. Well, it's a secret no, gig. It's a nobody se- knows about Absolutely. It. Therefore, well, the, the it's headline. like most gigs are secret gigs. Yeah. Nobody goes. Yeah. Nobody knows about them. The headline apart from the band. Am I right? Side. Correct. So the headline is even the other day was win tickets to Macca's secret gig. It's thing, not a secret gig. It's on the evening standard. I know. Win tickets. And you them. can go. In fact, you personally invited to the secret yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah. It's a pop oxymoron, it isn't is, it? Yeah. There's no such a thing. No, exactly. It's like I've got another one here. Indie chart. That's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you have to have a chart that's not the same as everybody else's chart. It's not a chart, is it? Sure ain't indie. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that totally, actually. Oh. Yeah, I don't oh. know. I'm not going to, you know... Go on. ...fight valiantly for... Um, actually, I don't know what you describe as indie anymore. I still think of indie as being the field mice. <laughs> and the corn dollies. It's people with interesting people with big baggy, you know... Are the wedding presents still going? Wedding presents, yes. <laughs> Gadgetarians. <laughs> anyway, other pop oxymorons. Soft rock. You can't have soft, soft rock, rock. Can't. As opposed to it's a, shock. it's a contradiction in terms. What was Andrew Gold if he wasn't soft rock? Well, what made him soft? Not very well, that good. people turned him down. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the volume. It's, you know, it rocks as much as anything, doesn't it? I don't think he does. Does he? He's softer rock. 
Softer rock. Softer rock, fair enough. Yeah. Relative, but not yeah. soft rock in absolute terms. Small crowd. <laughs> Contradiction in terms. <laughs> That's good. When does it stop being a crowd? That's a good point, isn't it? I think we want more of these, don't well, we? we? Yeah, I think we want the I readers. Like like we want the readers. Rock musical. Contradiction yeah. in terms. Sure. Not, not good anyway, no. Not good. So, pop oxymorons. Very if you've got, like you got any ideas on on, on mm. that front, um, send them in. Website, usual, usual thing. Small crowd is pitiful if you think about it. <laughs> it gets worse the more you think about it. Small crowd, you just see them. Plenty of room. Room to hunt buffalo. Room to hunt buffalo. Exactly, yeah. Average gig, as yeah. we well know. Can you move towards the front, please? Makes you feel a bit more welcome. You know? <laughs> so, if you've got anything on that front, wordmagazine.co.uk, usual, usual place. Actually, going to do a bit of housekeeping here, oh, as they used okay. to say at conferences. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Bit of yeah. housekeeping. Yeah, the toilets are the fire exits. <laughs> <fire exits. laughs> Actually, it, it's changed its name. It used to be, it's now called hygiene. A few hygiene factors before we begin. Oh, is that what they say oh, conferences? Yeah. That's new is that being where you can go to the loo? It's what housekeeping used to be. It's, it's is, the that, new is that an American expression where you're too embarrassed to say, I want to go and have a win? Yeah, you say, I okay, want to we bio start, we're going to get a few hygiene factors. So the, the one I wanted to do was to scare up some more positive feedback to these podcasts that you can you can leave on the iTunes store because right. we just need a few more to get past fifty, and I like the idea of getting past fifty. What's happened to our podcast that we're even talking about positive feedback? Well, this, uh, can this, I read you one? Yeah, can on, I yeah. read you one? This is from this is from Nick, I think, and he says camped, uh, cramped into a leaky one man tent on a rain lashed Isle of Skye last summer. With only a bag of survival goulash to stave you have off all the fun. to stave off hypothermia, I was greatly cheered by. I want to see if you remember this. Ellen or Hepworth's tale involving a dead swan, a castle, oh, yeah. and Joe Jackson. Oh yeah, yeah, that was my story. Yeah. And then he says the word, yeah. one of the few things you really need in life, That's which is a damn good line, and I'm yeah. going to use that. that what was the story about the swan? Story? Well, like, do you want the whole thing? Or was it yeah, come really on, give us a story. Give us a story. But just to, 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 to reprise this thing, it was when Bob Marley and the Whalers played the Crystal Palace Bowl in London oh. in the summer of 1980. Big old lake. And anyone's yeah, anyone who's been to the Crystal Palace Bowl will know that it is preceded by a lake. It was a lake between the uh, grassy knoll uh, where the uh, the crowd dispoiled and, and the stage and one of the sport acts was Joe Jackson <laughs> and all these people were in the lake beautiful hot day hard to imagine now and all these people were there uh, you know, stripped away splashing about I think probably quite well refreshed actually waiting uh, impatiently for Bob Marley to come on didn't have much time for old Joe doing his uh, Sprightly pop rock, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. That's, that's, it's good. It's excellent. It's like buzzcocks and this. It's all sings and Joe Jackson's on. Anyway, there was a terrible moment. I was right at the front and witnessed this. A terrible moment. This bloke found on the bottom of this lake, which is only about three or four feet deep, what was transparently a not terribly freshly dead swan. Like, and freshly he picked speared. it up. It's freshly speared by Gordon <laughs> Ramsay. <laughs> mind he picked up. it up. And he started to swing it round his head, you know, like a hammer thrower in an Olympic event, right? And Joe Jackson, who I was watching very closely at the moment, spotted this and obviously made the connection that a dead swan was very soon to be launched like a missile directly at him. Punk's not uh, dead. Yeah, and he shouted that <laughs> extremely rude word, uh, which uh, word that... Uh, in rhyming slang, we'd Berkshire Hunt. I can't tell you what it is, because you might be listening to this with, with your family. Do you think it is listened to by families? 
Jiggler are scared children sitting in the back of cars. Uh, like Mummy, I'm frightened. It's those men again talking <laughs> about spooky tooth and public foot at the moment. Mummy, make it stop. Father, please. Do you think they are? They probably are, actually. Uh, actually, it's one thing you can tell us um, is where do you listen to the podcast? Yes, we're we're to I know some people do this on, on exercise bikes at the gym. Some people in cars. Some people walking to uh, you know up to the tube or however they get to work. It's uh, we'd well, be interested to know. To know. Let yeah, us, we were. Let us know. He threw the swan at Joe Jackson, and it described a perfect parabola. Parabola. I, I knew he was, was going to say that, and it did a perfect arc towards the stage. And Joe Jackson shouted out, "You Berkshire Hunt!" very loudly, and ducked, and the swan <laughs> smashed into the drum riser. A hideous great pile of rotting flesh and feather. <laughs> It was pretty frightening. Back in the day. But uh, and clearly Bob Marley had that sorted out and uh, had the old uh, thing industrially cleaned before he stepped on. Good, good cover line for Kerrang, wouldn't it be? The swan crashed into the Yeah, drum the riser. swan that nearly killed Jacko. <laughs> <laughs> right. Swan hits drum risers. Well, you screamer. know I've been rediscovering vinyl of late. You yeah. know I've been rediscovering vinyl. I got out the other day, Night and Day by Joe Jackson. Do you know that record? Great record. And I played it this weekend, and it's a bloody good record. It's a brilliant record. It sounds really, no, really I'm sorry for the old boy, because there are lots of people I'd like to see a dead, throng, th- dead swan thrown at, but one of them isn't Joe Jackson. Is he still playing? Yeah. Well, I got confused here. Didn't Joe Jackson come back to the UK because of the smoking ban in New York? Yeah. Wasn't he? Yeah, isn't yeah, Joe yeah. Jackson yeah, a trouble, very right? militant yeah. smoker? Yeah, he is. He'd have to move to Greece or somewhere now? Yeah. Where would he be? He's not even allowed to smoke in a tent. I've had this debate. I think Echo and the Bunny Man might well have sparked up on stage at, at the Cornbury Rock Festival. Echo and the Bunny Man, who, the who were the big hit, really, at Cornbury. Yeah, yeah. And they played in, we had, they had a word tent, and it was a blooming big tent. A thousand tent. capacity tent. Uh, and there was smoking going on in there. And do you know who was witnessing it, Barry? Leader, the of, the leader of Her Majesty's Opposition. I heard he was there. Leader of the Opposition was there, on the good foot, at the front. Him and Richard and, Curtis. And Richard Curtis beside him. Yeah. How rock and was that? Giving it some. Yeah. Giving yeah. it some to the cutter to and the, the killing moon. And did anybody intervene about re, re- the smoking? There was no citizen's arrest. But, but I think there's still the, legality the definitions are still a bit grey. I, I think that's still, that's an enclosed space. Is I think tent that's a with open signs, an enclosed space. Now, we, we, I wanted to return just briefly to this subject of smoking on stage and all this, because we did discuss a few weeks ago the business of Mel Smith when he was playing Churchill That's right. in, uh, in, at the Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Fringe. Oh, yeah. And he got away with it there because <laughs> the bylaws are different in, in Scotland, I think, anyway. But I've been doing a bit of reading about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you can still smoke on stage if it's required by the character, you know, to say, if the plot demands oh, it. Oh, right. Yes. Um, but you have to smoke a herbal, non-toxic cigarette. And apparently, this is really interesting. I, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I don't know if you saw that series, 20,000 Streets Under the Sky, the Patrick Hamilton thing that was on, on no. the BBC about a year ago. Anyway, it's entirely set in pubs in the 20s and 30s. And so everything shot through like this thug, thug yeah, of cigarette yeah. smoke. Absolutely everything. And I'm sitting there watching this. And as somebody who used to smoke many years ago, I, do, I know this may seem pretty puerile but I do sort of think if I was an actor and I went for a job and they said you've got the part but you've got to smoke but smoking I'd think I don't know if I can do that you know what I mean because when you're giving up something like that you don't want to touch it and and, uh, they were saying in the extras that when people smoke nowadays on film or on TV and I think this applies to certainly to productions with the BBC they are not allowed to smoke anything other 
than herbal, non-toxic cigarettes. Probably worse for you than... Uh, well, I don't think they are, because they, I think one of, the, one of the arguments is that, you know, there's no passive smoking amongst the rest of the cast or, or the crew. So or what about your Keith Richards when you're on stage? You're not allowed to smoke anymore. Uh, well, Keith Richards on stage presumably is mainly in the open air now, isn't he? Doesn't that make a difference? So would that be okay? You uh, probably, uh, being Keith Richards, you probably only play open air gigs. Because I would imagine he, he would say the character demands it, wouldn't he? That's part of being <laughs> Keith Richards. <laughs> it's part of being Keith. It just doesn't make sense. Keith Richards not smoking. Yeah, he has doesn't to. stack up as a player. Play but I was following. I was following all this up. I was following all this up. It's quite interesting. There's been loads of debate in theatrical circles about the banning of this or the supposed banning of it. And they're saying, well, look, there's many things you're not allowed to do in society, i.e. shoot people, mm-hmm. that you can nonetheless do on stage. Absolutely. You can take your clothes off on stage yeah, yeah. and you can't do that on Oxford yeah, Street. You know, so, so how can you have a separate rule for, for well, smoking? Well, you just send me that little linker to what I suppose is a YouTube site of Kate Blanchett. Playing Bob, Dylan. Bob Dylan, which and, and this bizarre new film. It is the most extraordinary thing, and she basically the requirement is not just to look like, apparently sound like Bob Dylan, but just to chain smoke. To like smoke like Kate Bob Dylan. Smoke like plays Bob Dylan. Todd Haynes, yeah. Barry, you know yeah, about Todd Haynes, yeah. Todd Haynes, exactly, movie yeah. director. Go yeah. on, give us a little bit about Todd Haynes. Who he? Todd Haynes, yeah. Uh, society. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Arty kind of arty sort of arty bit strange crossing into the mainstream. Okay, he's making this film about the life of Bob Dylan, in which right. Bob Dylan is played by a number of different people. Yeah, one of what whom is Kate Blanchett. Isn't there a fundamental flaw there? <laughs> Go on. Go on. Let me <laughs> Bob Dylan's a bloke. Yeah. yeah. Last yeah. time with a Kate Blanchett woman. Um, yes, absolutely. That's a stretch. Forty-year-old Australian for an Oscar-winning actress. That's a stretch. Well, a stretch. we've seen this little. We just there's this little clip has appeared on YouTube um, that's been released to kind of scare up some word of mouth on this. Is on it this convincing? Film. It is actually in a strange way, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, it's shot black and white in the back of a limo. It's supposed to be about 1966. It's very much kind of don't look backy, you know. And the Bob Dylan character is in the back of the car, and Alan Ginsberg is going past on, on a golf buggy or something like that. And there's a conversation that takes place. And they have a kind of existential conversation. Who uh, else plays him as well as Kate Blanchett? I can't remember offhand. But, but if you go and look on IMDb, I'm sure you'll, you'll find out. Does she sound like Bob Dylan? She does a bit, actually. And her voice is too high, obviously, but she doesn't look and sound like Bob Dylan. That would be the woman. I think it might be rumbled it. Because in those days, Bob Dylan was largely. You know, this mad shock of hair, yeah. these sunglasses, and these cigarettes. Yeah, That's the all there was to him. No it's like going to Groucho Marx, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, glasses and moustache yeah. set, Some isn't it? Parts. You know, so when she, she just smokes the whole way through. Yeah, just yeah, in this two-minute bit. It's, it's worth seeing. It's, it's really quite interesting. Anyway, we were, we were going to talk about um, the best and worst oh, yeah. in the current issue of Word. Oh, yeah. Um, which, is, which is about double acts, where it was decided... That the um, you know the worst double acts included the likes of Little and Large, here, here. Uh, <laughs> Beefy and Lammy, uh, Trini and Susanna. Oh, uh, give, me, give me that duck, put it in a barrel. You know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd shoot it. Yes. And uh, the worst one was Hale gun. and Pace. Um, who They've got to be up there, haven't they? <laughs> You know, I thought they'd missed. I, I, looking at it actually this morning, I wondered if we hadn't missed old Les Dennis and Dusty. What's his name? Dusty, Dusty G. G. He died they very early on, didn't they? Because you and I, Barry, once saw Les Dennis uh, perform, uh, doing his uh, uh, hilarious impersonations, and one of them consisted of him going, "My name is Michael Caine." Okay. Not a lot of people know. He put on a pair of spectacles and kept going, "My name is Michael Caine." Had he over not said, over again. "My name is Michael Caine," nobody would have had the faintest idea who he was meant to be. <laughs> Be good, Amongst the worst, we have Mike and Bernie Winters. Um, 
And we've got to tell. What's that? We've got to tell. Do do that story. The famous showbiz tale. They always used to say the graveyard of comics was the Glasgow Empire, wasn't it? That's right. First first house. First house. house. Freezing in a tent in the old sky will be grateful for this story. First house (laughs) of the Glasgow Empire. And Mike and Bernie Winters were profoundly unfunny. And, And they were, I suppose... Built rather along the lines of Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, yeah. weren't they? The, yeah. one, the one who was supposedly <laughs> good-looking. One who was supposedly... That's all I can remember. Mike would come out and be the smoothie and start singing, you know, Luck Be a Lady or something like that. And then after you know after a while, Bernie would wander on with a goofy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, first house, Glasgow Empire. Mike comes on, starts doing his patter, goes into a song. No reaction from the Not audience whatsoever. So, you just hear, tumbleweed. You can hear the howling of wind. A distant church bell. Yes. <laughs> it's Rooks. going Coins. terribly. It's going terribly, but never mind. Never mind the riffling of the curtain behind yeah. means that his partner is about, is about to come to his rescue. He's about to come to his rescue. And as Bernie appears with his goofy expression from behind the curtain, a single voice from the stalls goes, Oh, God, there's two of them. There's two of them. That story oh. was actually told to me recently by Alan Corinth. Alan Corinth, it's still, wrote it's, that one. It's, it's, it's <laughs> such showbiz vintage that Alan Corinth actually. It's a classic, and it says something. <laughs> he also told me. He also told me that story about Tommy Cooper when he when he said the best time he ever saw Tommy Cooper was when he didn't see him. Was when Cooper was doing some corporate gig, and there were two thousand salesmen gathered you yeah. know, at the Cooper House Hotel, and sometimes a ruffle in the curtain. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> um, the curtain ran the whole length of the stage and another two of them ruffled the curtain oh. <laughs> <laughs> never actually come out for five minutes he said the audience couldn't breathe they were laughing so much couldn't breathe he never, never appeared oh. was he actually there or was just it was Cooper but he just, he, his whole act was I can't get through the curtain oh. <laughs> Can I interject with a with a with a, a, a memory of a of a concert at the Grosvenor House, which is not a double act and not Tommy Cooper at all, but does make me laugh to think about it. I once went to a corporate do where the entertainment was Dave D, Dozy Beak and Mick and Titch. Right? And yeah, I'm not kidding at all. And this is like you know, 20 Apart years. Apart from Xanadu, 20, what else did they Oh, they had loads of it. Zabadak. Hold tight. Hold tight. Of course. Anyway, they were supposed to make their entrance on a revolving stage, right? And the revolve, they started their first number and the revolve begun. You got Dave D. Stuck Dozy, and halfway. And nobody else. We, who did we get? Tommy Cooper. Who did we get? Just Dave We got Mick and Titch. No, Mick and Titch. Mick and Titch. The rest of them Duck round there, completely invisible. People would start to angrily demand a refund when it just stuck with Mick and Titch. Anyway. Did you have the Pet Shop Boys in the best double act? Yes, oh, they're, they're, they're in there. Yeah. They're in there. Who do, you, who do you think should be there, Mark? That wasn't as anybody. I thought I thought Wood and Walters. I thought were terrific. Actually, I still do. And I think uh, I think Mitchell and Webb. I'm very fond of. And also, I think Tony Hancock. I said, James, you can call them a double act. But you can. Oh, they were they not? They finished at least. Yes, I suppose the they were. Blood Donor. Do you remember Rhesus? That's the kind of mother. Although, to be fair, said James, a is blood. Not, it's not it's in the blood. It's almost harmful. 
Sid James, not in the blood donor. No, you're not in the blood donor. To be fair, no, you're absolutely right. Though. I was yesterday afternoon when it, you know it being the middle of summer and rain was lashing against the window at home. I settled down to watch film four, and Porridge was on. Oh. And of course, in Porridge, the not very good film of Porridge, but you know it's better than most things. Yeah, is one of the great double acts of all time, which is Fletch and Godber. Yeah. Play Ronnie, Barker Ronnie Barker and Richard Beckinsale. Richard Beckinsale, very young. Because, you know, they are just... Until somebody caught, caught me. <laughs> <laughs> but they are just a brilliant double act because it's Incredible. father and son, yeah. effectively, yeah. isn't it? Back you know, to Ronnie Parker, absolutely. There's, there's Ronnie something, you know, very profound going on there. Of course, there was... Uh, there was uh, Peter, what's his name, playing Grouty. Do you remember Grouty, the, yep. the, the guy who ran D-Wing? Absolutely. Getting measured for a new suit. <laughs> he says, he says, feel that, Fletcher. Pure cashmere. Pure cashmere. <laughs> he says, he's got a Chinese tailor. I wrote this down. He says, he's knocking me on, uh, one up in Barathea for the cold weather. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Was that based on the character that Noel Coward played in? in uh, uh, yes, I suppose it was. It the Italian been. job, yeah. They yeah, just Italian they just job. picked bits out of, uh, yeah. out of other prison movies that worked. Yeah. But, but it is one of those things where you just sit there and watch it and you just, you know, Finley McKay walks on and you just feel like a applauding you know? it's just, just these one after the other these great fantastic. British character actors wandering in you know? who did you have for the greatest double act Hail and Pace of the Worst uh, the greatest I think was oh, Lord I've forgotten now Eric and uh, oh god I'm going to turn up Laurel and Hardy you see I don't agree I don't find them funny I quite like you had them there didn't you as the originators of the whole thing weren't they yeah funny man and straight man I was Eric and Aaron up there Eric and Ernie are there. Surely. Do you know how, who I personally like? I don't know if you're familiar with them. Basil Radford and Norton Wayne. <laughs> Doesn't ring a bell, Okay, go back. Now, you, household names. You gotta, well, they were, were they? at one time. You go back and look at Hitchcock's The Lady Vanishes and movies yep. like that, right? They always played this pair of bumbling kind of English gents who were always in the background of any murder mystery. They're the two guys on the train and the Lady Vanishes yeah, right. who are desperate to get back before the test match finishes. And, uh, and they're just, you, you could rely on them to, to lift and enlighten yeah. absolutely anything you stuck them in, you know. They were just, this, they did their act in whatever movie it was. They just dropped them down there and, and they, they continued to. I, I've do got their one act. that I think should be in the greatest ever double acts. Go on. The Likely Lads? Oh, right. That's what I've got here. Ah, the Likely Lads are absolutely good. right. Bob and Terry. Bob Simply and Terry. Brilliant. Bob and Terry. It has is, to be said. It's the most brilliant bit of characterisation. Brilliant. brilliant. What was the name of the pub where the likely lines were? Oh. Seven men baby badly, isn't it? Oh. What's it called, Barry? The pub. Oh, where they sit there and drink pints of heavy. And yeah. talk about ginger birch. It has to be said, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was it? I tell you what it's called. Yeah. The fat ox. <laughs> of course it was. The fat ox. Of course it was. It was the least gentrified pub on God's earth. Where they the used likely to sit lads. there. The, the likely lads. I think we just one there. Why do I think, going back to Hancock, why do I think there's some connection with Hancock and Live Aid? Because you, Dave, presented Live Aid. I, oh, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. And I think. Uh, hey, Steve, Steve Blacknell, I'll tell you Blattnell. what. Well, something to do with the cult. I'll tell you what this is. Steve Blacknell, uh, who was one of the, one of the uh, one of cast team. of, of yeah. broadcasters on Live Aid, like myself, is a big Hancock fan. And, and like all Hancock boars, whenever Steve and I used to get together, we used to swap you know, banter and just switch into Hancock scripts. And there is, in the radio ham, 
when Hancock is making contact with all sorts of people all over the world that he doesn't really want I to talk this. to. Yeah, He's yeah. always he always gets this guy called Yoshi in Tokyo, I think. And the only thing he's, the only thing he can say in English is, "It is our not raining in Tokyo." Right. So anyway, anyway, Steve Blacknell gets on Concord. Part of the stunt of Live Aid was that Phil Collins was going to play at both, both ends of Live Aid. Yeah. Yeah. He was going to play at Wembley, that, yeah. and then via the miracle of Concord, he was going to go to, to JFK or whatever it was and play in Philadelphia. Right. And, and so Steve was supposed to broadcast with Phil Collins from the cockpit of Concord yeah. to the waiting millions back in. Yeah. How <laughs> they ever thought this, this leak was going to be set up? And anyway, Did you hear them for about 30 seconds? Oh, eventually crack. they made some kind of contact. And I was the person anchoring it in London. And Steve was up there with the pilot and with Phil Collins. And Steve was the first voice I heard. And through this crackle... I just uh, Steve Blackwell. Steve Blackwell goes. Apparently, people all over the world were listening, as they always say with those things. And uh, I just heard Steve Steve say, "It is our not raining here in Tokyo." <laughs> Phil Collins scratching his head. Going, he oh, thought he was just the testing the line. He didn't know that he'd he actually gone live, live, live. So that's you know, it's the most. Public-private joke in the history of uh, link, in like the history that. of broadcasting. Like, yeah, that yeah you couldn't do that now, could you? Phil Collins could not do London could and New York simultaneously. He could not have done it for Live Earth or Diana or yeah. those recent things. I'll tell you what else I've got. Michael Flanders and Donald Swan. Oh, God, yeah. Don't you think Flanders and Swan are due for a revival at the drop of another hand? Any day now. I'm a good new. Mud, glorious mud. Mud, glorious mud. The uh, Transport of Delight, or the London Transport Diesel. Then it was a great line. Is, 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 the great line of the bus. He goes, his, the hippopotamus, his inamorata adjusted her garter. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> joined in this glorious refrain. It's fantastic. Oh, yes. <coughs> oh good grief. Oh, David, I'm choking you there. Got Eric Morgan Eric, Eric Morgan, well, I remember, Eric Morgan, I remember fondly... Um, one gag he said where he said uh, my neighbour asked if he could use my lawnmower and I said of course as long as you don't take it out of my garden <laughs> which I thought was really funny <laughs> is, that, is it good at all? Yeah, it's not a classic obviously I'm never going to get another opportunity to do this so I may as well tell you now yeah. the joke that Eric Morecambe used to say was the funniest joke he'd ever heard Go on. and he heard it from Tommy Cooper obviously Go on, this gonna actually, you built this up mate well, I'm blaming that on somebody else. Yeah. Uh, man goes and knocks on door. Okay. Uh, woman, all in black, comes to door, <laughs> and he says, um, "Is Ernie in?" And the woman bursts into floods of tears, and a, and a younger and a young man appears at her shoulder and puts yeah. a consoling arm around her, delivers her away, <laughs> and and then turns to the person at the door and goes, "Yes," and he goes. Is Ernie in? And he goes, well, Ernie was my father, and he died four days ago. <laughs> and the guy standing on the doorstep pauses and thinks... How are they going to turn this round? <laughs> and he goes, did he say anything about a pot of paint? Don't <laughs> 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 oh, <no>. oh. <laughs> you love that conversation? The funniest joke ever. I was talking to Mark Radcliffe, Radio 2's fabulous Mark Radcliffe the other day, about the funniest joke ever. He said, oh, I know this one. We're not having a discussion about it, it's just a statement of fact. The funniest joke is two cannibals eating a clown. And one says to the other one, does this taste funny to you? 
I'd listen to songs on the radio. He's on a very funny radio programme on Radio 4 on Sunday morning. I can't remember what it was now. And he told this joke. I thought it was hilarious. I told it to my wife. Absolute silence. Basically, it's about two skiers, right? Did you hear this? It's two skiers. Tried. Yeah, two skiers. Dyslexic skiers. Already, it's ridiculous. Oh, isn't it? oh, oh everything. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're up on this mountain and they're about to go skiing. And one says to them, should we zigzag or should we zag and then zig? Which comes first, the zag or the zig? And they get a terrible state. And this bloke goes by and says, mate, oh, here's saying, we don't know whether to zig or zag. You know? He says, well, don't ask me, I'm a toboggannist. He says, oh, well, could I have 20 bents on the edges and a couple of evening standard, please? Thank you. And that's where we're going to leave it. <laughs> I asked Bill Nye. I'm here all week. Bill Nye. Bill Nye. Go on. Uh, and he said, uh, where, does the, where does the policeman live? I said, I don't know, Bill, where does the policeman live? He said, Let's Be Avenue. Oh, Let's Be Avenue. Oh, I know that in the 60s. <laughs> he's probably an Oscar winning actor. That's, yeah, it. Let's be That's Avenue. the best gag we can do. Let's, Let's Be Avenue. Oh, at least he got it out of the way quickly. So it's, tra- yeah. it's traditional at this point in the podcast oh, yeah. that we finish off with uh, the, the, the horror. The hoary old, oh, old rock anecdote. Oh, rock anecdote. And this is, this is such a hoary old rock anecdote, actually, that it turned up in... I was looking on the Rolling Stone magazine website the other day, and they got a list of the 20 great apocryphal rock stories. Right up there. Oh, right. And they've got, you know... <coughs> excuse me, Paul McCartney dead, Led Zeppelin the Mud Shark, you know, all that kind of stuff. <coughs> but they had this one, Mark, oh, and yes. number three, I think. Number three. So was, it's was it over above, to you. Presumably above Keith Richards has his an eight-pint blood transfusion <laughs> all blood every Tuesday in Switzerland in the clinic. I think it was above Which I still love it. I think it was above Well, I remember this story. I don't know if I can remember it now, but I, about... Uh, first, uh, uh, some tipped me off about, about ten years ago, I think. And a story about Fleetwood Mac, wasn't it? And obviously, it's alleged to be true. Let me make this absolutely <laughs> clear to my, my learned friend. You might be listening. But um, Fleetwood Mac had apparently, and I think this is common knowledge, Dave, developed a dependency on a drug. Um, <laughs> oh. And I'm, I'm not very au fait with the, with the, with the Persian drugs, because I haven't taken any since 1981, when I had a night out with Ju- Julian Coke. Uh, but apparently... Yeah, that's right, yeah. But apparently, uh, it wasn't a great heavyweight in the first place, but apparently, um, cocaine... Can, it has to be uh, ingested through membranes. And there aren't that many membranes available. One of them, obviously, is the nose. That's the standard... Uh, the other one's uh, standard. Uh, possibly the gums or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, this certain member of, uh, of uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Stevie Nicks, we must call her Stevie Nicks, I think, uh, had apparently developed a, a fondness for this particular uh, accelerator. And <laughs> to the extent that she couldn't quite get through a whole set without a little bit of a... Uh, a bit of a nose up, a little G up halfway through, right? And um, this photographer told me that backstage in this um, uh, area um, had been a, a tent had been erected. Right? <laughs> this is the bit I love about it. And it was the, when I was, was, it, was it Arabian, Mark? Like, I think it was Arabian. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and inside, probably. Um, but we'll never come to that later. Yeah, but let's say it was an Arabian tent. And when I was a kid, I always think that you know, backstage at any concert would be frightfully exciting. I'd read a uh, an interview with Robert Plant where he talked about uh, what he enjoyed backstage when the drum solo was going on, uh, which basically involved a very cooperative young lady, I think. You know, and I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. Well, Everybody's bored to death <laughs> by this drum solo. Poor old John Bonham hacking away. I think I wonder if Robert Plant's finished. He was not very exotic things went on. Sure enough, backstage of this Fleetwood Mac concert was this <laughs> tent. The photographer was very confused as to what possibly might be going on. It had a little peep inside. Absolutely nothing. Arabian, you know, drapes and things. Quite a nice little carpet. No cushions. There was no cushions. No <laughs> scatter cushions. No occasional table. No bottles of vodka. Nothing at all. Not an ashtray. Nothing. 
And apparently, halfway through the show, Stevie Nicks would, would float <laughs> on stage. Just after having, you know, complete, having completed Rhiannon. Having completed having Rhiannon. drained herself. Drained herself, <laughs> exactly. You left herself exhausted, rushed into this tent. Uh, at which point, apparently, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is the, the story I was told, anyway, she would then bend over in this tent, flip, flip up the back of her long dress, probably lower her possibly quite flimsy underwear that she'd climbed into that morning, and some minion, who I hope is highly paid, would go in there and, uh, and blow a line of cocaine up her fundament. The <laughs> remaining Stop membrane. It. Yeah, it was possible to ingest this, what I think we like to call wasting. Or, uh, yeah, or marching Straight in. So this was the only way the, the gack or the devil's dandruff could possibly be, uh, be administered. The, the the, every ningle. other part or the nose ningle. The fruit and flowers, as somebody called it. Apparently record company parlance for cocaine was fruit and flowers. That's what you'd write on that's your really invoice when your expenses shit. <laughs> fruit and flowers, £4,000. So anyway, yeah, the nose whiskey, the old nose niggle, could only be administered, apparently, with a little blowpipe. That's the rear end of Stevie Nicks. So Obviously, a... Dennis is an allegation. I mean, he's absolutely... But there was a man who did this job. There was a man who... This was his job. Yeah. Was so his you job. arrive for the interview and say, well, what is it, a little bit of, um, you know, stage gantry building, maybe lights? I don't know. <laughs> No, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> a little bit more personal. A little bit more personal. Um, it, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll pay you double. Let me, let's, let's, let me get to the point quite quickly. See that tent? But I love the idea that the photographers really looked into the tent, completely baffled. What is a tent doing there? You know, with the, with the bottom of it, kind of gaffer taped to the floor, a secret little tent. And Stevie Nicks maybe floating one end, and this geezer got running in the other end. They're only in there for a minute. Out she comes, as you say, springing out, <laughs> springing herself back on stage, so, ready to rock. With uh, some more classic. I want to read this story. He's buying that. Whoever that was is buying it. That's a hell of an. It's a hell of a feature in beat instrumental, isn't isn't it? That you know, I was the man who used to blow cocaine up Stevie Nicks' fundament. It is. I can't think of it. Retrieving lobsters from James Mansfield's bum. We're back to that, aren't we? There's another deal. I'm dissolving in the cuffs here, which probably indicates that. Time to have a lie down. Clock has caught up. <laughs> We've delighted you well, long enough. We've delighted you <laughs> long enough. Do your talking while you walk. Any glasses, please. There we go. One thing I want. One thing I want. Sorry, I said he will again. <laughs> Enjoy the veal. Tip your waitress. God bless you. If you're driving, don't forget your car. We don't always. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Mm-hmm.